Yeah. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode number thirty-one. My name is Patrick, and my name's Antonia. And we are back at it again with another episode. Welcome back. How are you doing over there? Um, I don't know. I have to go to work soon again, and I I was enjoying my time off. So Those breaks, they fly right by you, don't they? Nine days, it went by way too fast. <laughs> way too fast. And they're, well, I'll save it. But yeah, way too fast. How many weeks mm. do you have until your spring break? Three. It's so long away, so far away. But mm-hmm. you have Let me like tell you why. Okay. I got one week. This week is exam week. The next week is exam week. And then I have another week that is just like a regular random ass week. That's like the week before spring break. So once that's done, Kalas finished and we are off to break. So it's gonna go by really fast. That's why I love working on Sundays, because when you work on Sundays, your week flies by a lot faster than when you work on Mondays. I'm breaking up my weeks left by like, what days can you take off? Like you could take a day here. You could take a day here. This will be a four day week. (laughs) Use those days, honey. Yes, I will. Have you already? Well, never mind. I won't ask that. You're going somewhere for spring break, right? No, because didn't you say, like, there y'all don't get days? Is that? <laughs> no, we don't, actually. We, uh, not in the probation period. I mean, you can take a day off. But that's, like, money. But, yeah, but you lose a day's pay. We can't do which that. Which is, like, too many real for me to be losing. And I'm already taking two days off in May because I'm going to New York. So excited. You did not mention that. I did. No, you didn't. What are you going to New York for? <laughs> I told you I'm going to New York to. <laughs> I'm laughing. I have trust issues now. You did not mention that, but okay, you're going to New York. No, I did. No, you didn't. Do you me- okay? <laughs> listen, do you remember back in the day before I um be like right after I came to Qatar, I didn't like it. Remember, I was gonna. Like plot and escape to go to Los Angeles. Yes. To for the TFA conference. Yes. Okay. So basically they were like, yo, you couldn't make it, which I technically couldn't, because if I went to LA, then I wouldn't be able to get back in the country. And I was like, I don't have like my money is not together enough for me to like escape and go like just go. So I decided to stay. And TFA was like, yo, you were supposed to come to Los Angeles. You didn't come. So you can either go to New York and do the conference there, or you can pay back some of this money for the plane ticket. What? So I was like, yeah. So with that, I was like, you know, totally fine. I'm going to take my ass to New York because I desperately need to step foot on, on American soil again. Never thought I would say that. But that's how I truly feel at this moment. And I, I need to step foot on American soil again. 
Um, so I'm going to go to the TFA conference there. It's a very short turnaround, and then I'll come right back. I, I and I'm ta- sorry. I'm going to take a long layover in Turkey, oh, Istanbul. Oh, nice! So, I always hear such amazing things about Istanbul. Yes. That's the thing. Y'all need to start taking those long layovers. Y'all be scared of layovers when y'all travel. Don't be scared of layovers. If your layover is in the right place, take that layover, that 16, that 18, that 20-hour layover, and take yourself out there and explore from one traveler to, to the next. I I don't know. Like I want to do that, but at the same time, I feel like with my luck, I would never make it back to the airport in time, and then you know I'm just going to be stuck in Turkey looking sideways like, um, I was supposed to be back in the U.S. two days ago, but there's not a flight going to Houston. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> like, that would happen to me. I've never missed a flight, but that would happen to me. Like I have no doubt. I have missed several, and it's the most embarrassing thing, running to the gate, and like them being like, "Yo, the gate is the gate is closed." That's a you didn't get that joke. No. You didn't make it to that season of Real Housewives. I thought you were watching that over I your stopped. break. I stopped. <laughs> okay, well, if you start to watch it again, then you will understand the, the door is closed. The closest I've come to missing a flight is when I worked at this summer camp, which I posted about this week. Oddly enough, I worked at this summer camp in. Uh, in Missouri, and I went home for a graduation. And when I was flying, supposed to be flying back to Missouri, the flight that I was on, Southwest was discontinuing service to Branson. And I was running late for my flight. And like I said, this was the last flight ever going to Branson on Southwest. So if I missed it, like that's it. Um, and so I was running late, and it had like three delays. Like I was literally in the car, like on the way to the airport and it was like, oh, another delay. And then I get there and they're about to close the gate and they're like, oh, we just called for you. And I was like, oh, my goodness. But that is the closest I've ever come to missing a flight. But I, I, I've never. you be running with your bag. Oh, yeah. That is. <laughs> no, that's legit why I don't ever check a bag. Because it's oh, it's fast. You're one of those yes, girls. it's faster to just get off the flight and run and go than to have to like get off the flight and wait for luggage and yeah, no. The only time I the last time I took like I checked something, I think was to Ethiopia and I really didn't even want to check anything then, but it was two weeks and I knew I was bringing stuff back, so it was kind of unavoidable. Mm. But anyway, ten more Mondays. Ten more Mondays until summer. That's it. That's it. Wow. You, you, I'm not going to say it again, but you get out of school extremely early. Yeah. It has something to do with the tourism industry down here. Like, they've been arguing about it recently um, because I guess it brings in enough money to, to actually impact things. And that's why we start so early and get out so early because they want, like, enough time for people to travel and bring in additional funds. But yeah, I don't know what I'm doing this summer. Kind of want to book a trip to Belize for the third time, but we'll see. Okay. Okay. First of all, can we just shout out going to more than going to a country more than once? It's okay to do that. Oh yeah. I I don't I would go to Belize every year if I could. It's so close and it's really hot and there are black people there and there's the ocean. That's literally all I need. Literally. I I would be fine just traveling to South America and Africa for the rest of my life. Like, I'm not interested in Europe at all. I have no reason to go to Europe. 
Um, there's nothing in Europe for me, but South America and Africa. I, there is enough there to see new things and then return and visit over and over and over. So mm-hmm. Europe is not happening unless somebody buys my ticket for me. Period. Which maybe our podcast will take us there one yeah, day. Yeah, maybe. Do you have any good news? Yes. Um, I want to shout you out and shout me out. Okay. For 50,000 listeners. Are you done? <laughs> yeah. So that's like the most exciting that's news. That's very exciting. Of the month. Um, we have come a long way. And I think it's time to read our receipts. We started this podcast on August something, early August, right? And here we are still going strong, March 18th. It's a long time. That's a long ass time. 50,000 listens later, we have been listened to in over 20 countries. Does it offer a breakdown? That would be really cool. It probably doesn't, but that's really wild. 20 countries? It does oh, actually yay! offer a breakdown. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to know the top 10? Yes. Okay. Number one is obviously. Good old USA. U.S. Coming in at number two, we got Canada. What's up, Canada? Okay. What's good? Following up right behind Canada, we got Australia. What? That's wild. <laughs> Australia. I don't count number four because I think it's me. Qatar. No, number four is Qatar. <laughs> <laughs> number four is Qatar. Number five, Austria. Number six, the UAE. Seven, Norway. Eight, Poland. Nine, Egypt. And ten, Denmark. Denmark? So adorable. Aw. Yeah. That's wild. Thanks for listening, guys. I was so excited. I'm like, who gives a damn about us at Denmark? <laughs> like, what? You know, they're, prob- what? they're probably, like, playing it and talking about how trash the American education system is. <laughs> According to these black ass teachers on here. Because if I lived overseas and taught overseas, I'd be like, hey, y'all, listen to this. They don't get no planning time. Don't get no planning time. This this young man got fired. You you know, like, it would, like, it. We appreciate y'all for sticking with us. Their kids can't go outside for recess. Look at this. This is ridiculous. (laughs) 10 minute recess. (laughs) Thank you so much, y'all, for listening. Now it's time for 50,000 more. And keep listening because at the end of this episode, we have a very special announcement to celebrate the 50,000 listens. So, yeah. So, I'm super proud of us. We're going to continue. And, again, we have some very more exciting news coming. So, keep listening. So, my friend, it's been a lot going on in the news lately in the education atmosphere. Which is not normal, you know, because normally people don't (laughs) tweet about us or, you know, care too much about education. Um, 
unless we're talking about this specific atmosphere, which is, you know, higher education, right? We know our good old girl, Aunt Becky and, Becky. and friend. <laughs> Aunt Becky and friends were caught recently, or I wouldn't say caught, I would say exposed. It's my favorite word. She was exposed as a part of a scam on getting rich white kids into colleges in which they were undeserving to go. In that same arena, on the other side of the country, so that's happening in California, on the other side of the country at Harvard, good old Harvard, there is a lawsuit happening between Harvard University and Asian American students. Have you heard about this? Only a little bit. I I know like a little background. Well, let's catch the people up. Let's catch the people up. I'm I'm pulling this from time uh, because we do we do do we respect time? I I think they're how do you say reputable? They're like they're decent. They're decent. Okay, I'm gonna we're pulling this from time. I want to shout out Katie Riley, um, because we're we're uh, getting this information from her, and we're gonna link this in the description. But let's catch the people up. Let's catch the people up. There is a trial happening at Harvard. Why do you keep saying it like that? <laughs> That's not how you were taught to say it. No. <laughs> that sounds like the pastor's telling you to come in the house. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. It sounds like a slave, like a, a slave owner. That's no, like. that's what people say. Harvard is like fancy. Some people say it to like be funny. I'm, it's like, mm, but it's not really funny. Come on, not. friend. <clears throat> Let me fix myself, get myself together for Antonia. There's a trial happening at Harvard. There we go. Between, um, on behalf of the Asian American students who are there um, and the admissions department. The law school, wow. The lawsuit basically alleges that Harvard discriminates, and this is coming from Katie, that Harvard discriminates against Asian American applicants, holding them to a higher standard than students of other races and using an illegal racial quota system, which basically says that we only going to accept um, six Asian Americans this term. Okay. The rest of you got to try again <laughs> next time. Okay. That's what the quota system is. But Harvard says, uh-uh. It was not me. <laughs> I'm so-, <And> so <laughs> Continue. I just want to break it down. I want to break it down for the folks, okay? I want to break it down. So the, the case is crazy because it's bringing up this long debate, which I know you are aware of, which is the whole affirmative action debacle. Yes. What? You are showing out today. I, I, I'm, <laughs> you just, you're giving a show. Okay. We'll continue. 
So the Asian American students are being represented by the Students for Fair Admissions. Um, so they're the people who are filing the lawsuit. And the question at hand here is not directly connected to aff- affirmative action. Um, according to our friends over at Vox, affirmative action was established as a way to weigh the applications of marginalized groups um, such as women or people of color in school admissions, job applications, and other areas where we have been historically shut out. Let me go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. Spoiler, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. The number one group that benefited from affirmative action. Antonia, take it away. Wasn't it white people? <laughs> Not white people. Don't do that. Let's no, more stop. Sp- oh, wait. White, white, white men? <laughs> no. No. It's affirmative action. Oh, well, <clears throat> we didn't really. I mean, we did, but we didn't. Who was the number one group that benefited from affirmative action? Was it Asians? No. Stop. I don't want this in the podcast. I feel like you're tricking me. I don't really believe that it was us. It wasn't us. That's okay. White women. White women. Stop. We're redoing this. <laughs> no, I'm going to leave that in there. The thing about it is people often, when you think about affirmative action, I'll come back to the case in a minute, but let's just stick, let's, let's stick here at the affirmative action piece, right? When I went to Michigan State University, I know from a, <laughs> two, three weeks being there, people believe that Black students at Michigan State didn't deserve to be there. Literally, down the hall from me, not even two weeks into school, a young man wrote, no niggers, please. What? (laughs) On a black girl's door. I remember having several conversations with folks, with white students, white uh, people, who talked about, oh, you know, black, you know, these people got in because of affirmative action, right? And they talked about these programs at Michigan State that were created and designed to recruit and retain students of color, um, but were attacked on the same level because they were seen as affirmative action programs. This reminds me of food stamps. Uh Uh-oh. And like how everyone thinks it's black people that are on food stamps, but it's really white people. But continue. (laughs) So it's like all the social programs that you think are that that white people think are put in place to like jeopardize their opportunities or to lower their chance of getting into X, Y, Z or offering less money for X, Y, Z. It's like, sorry, guys, y'all are the ones benefiting from this. So here's where it gets crazy. You ready for the craziness? Okay. I might have to add an effect in here, like the Nicki Minaj uh, Queen Radio um, effect after I say this. The plaintiffs of this case, which are the Asian Americans, the, the folks who are suing, have argued that the only way to ensure that Asian Americans stand an equal chance in the admissions process at Harvard, 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 Harvard. <laughs> is that? It, 
race has to be completely eradicated from the admissions process. Drop bomb here. It's funny that people seem to think that you have an equal, like an equal chance against white people. Like if you remove race, like, I'm sorry, you're not going to get in. Like, they're not going to let you in. There's legacies that are trying to get in. There are people who've had, like, like those spaces were never meant to include us, right? And so if you take away the one way that you are, like, given an inkling of a chance, I'm sorry, you won't, you won't have any chance at all. And so you're not only hurting your opportunities now, now you're hurting every other person of color and anyone that would be, be coming behind you. Let me drop one statistic on the ground here. Currently, Asian Americans are 50, 5% of the U.S. population. But they make up 23% of Harvard's most recent class of admitted students. I think they need to be quiet. I'm sorry. While black folks make up 15% and Hispanic or Latino students make up 12. But you're crying. <laughs> but you're crying. Okay. I'm sorry. Like, I have no sympathy. Sympathy, empathy, whichever one it is. I have none of it for this case at all. Why? I just, if you, like, you're arguing that race needs to be removed. And, like, you already have a higher percentage than any other group of color, right? Why are you crying? You're never going to reach a majority number. Like, it's not going to happen. Harvard's not going to let that happen. So the reason why they're doing this is because they feel and they feel like they have the receipts to prove um, that Harvard is basically using their race against them in the admissions process and that they are outperforming white students on, uh, you know, a variety of levels, but still are getting in at a lesser rate than them. It sounds like, what is it? Was it Abigail? Abby? From UT? Oh. Oh. <laughs> like, just take your denial letter and move along. Not in all cases, but in this case, this is how I feel about this. Just move along. I'm sure you applied to other universities. Why are we knocking so hard to be admitted to historically white institutions that don't want us there anyway? I think affirmative action is so important for us. Yep. Let me also say this before I even go there. Affirmative action is very controversial, you know, because we know why it's important, but a lot of people don't. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people just don't quite understand it. And they keep going on this like reverse discrimination. <laughs> rant. Reverse racism. Yeah, I've been told Doesn't. that. Really? I'll tell that story at the end of the school year. Okay. But only it's conditional, but there is a story. I think we get what you're saying, sis. You don't got to say no more. Say no more. <laughs> um, we know that affirmative action is important because we know, and we don't have to go into a, a super deep explanation that 
since we arrived here by force, the system has been set up to hold us back, to deny us opportunity. And when I say deny us, I'm specifically talking about black people. Um, And we can definitely include black and brown people in there. We have to acknowledge that there is a group of Asian Americans, specifically Chinese Americans, who benefit from white privilege. Oh, yeah. I don't think we talk about I don't want to say we don't talk about it enough, but it's it's like there's this model minority myth. But Mm. but when you look at who's the students getting into these colleges and into these programs, it's like you've had the proximity to wealth and resources in order to get in those spaces. And I think a lot of people don't talk about that. So it's like, yes, you might be a person of color, but you you have more resources than other people of color. Which is why intersectionality is really important. Yeah. Arguing that race is not, or or the, arguing that race should be a non-factor puts everybody at risk <laughs> for not getting in to these, to the schools that they have paid money and worked so hard and set goals to get into. Um, Harvard has said that while they considered race um, when creating their class, it is not a... It's a factor of a factor of a factor. But it's not going to like deter it. you from getting in. They're not using your race against yeah. you. It's what Harvard has said. <laughs> a New York Times 2017 analysis found that even with race conscious admissions policies in place, black and Hispanic students are actually less represented at America's top, top colleges um, now than they were 35 years ago. Surprise, surprise. The analysis the analysis notes that the largest growing demographic at many of these top universities have been among Asian American students. It is that the last point so strongly animates the reaction to this case. Harvard and similarly situated schools are considered the best in, in America where connections and a diploma can open up doors that can drastically change one future. The debate over who gets into Harvard is more about than the importance of test scores. It is about who has access to America's elite institutions in an age when power is increasingly held by a select few. From our friends at Vox. That seems like a good segue into how people buy their way into universities. Which I I think we all at su- to some degree knew that existed, but like it's one of those things where you don't think about it critically. You don't think about it very often. And so to see it come out, it's just like, whoa, what the hell? Right? And and now even more so, like I can't imagine being in high school right now, you know, like I've worked my butt off all year. I've I've done volunteering since I was in eighth grade. I've I've secured X amount of scholarships in order to secure a position in a school that I feel would like bring me to the next class level, right? And then you find out 
that people are just sauntering into these classes and they've paid for it. And so, like, black students are consistently and are consistently, like, told through actions and through words that we don't belong, right? Like, why are you here? How'd you get in? But now it makes you kind of want to look at people sideways. Like, did you pay your way in? Why are you here? And I, I think it, 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 like, it kind of impacts that imposter syndrome, right? Like the imposter syndrome being the idea that you're not good enough to be wherever you are or in whatever position you are because of maybe what you've been told or maybe what you've seen. And like... <laughs> I think a lot of us know that some of these people are not as smart as they need to be to get into these positions. <laughs> and now it's like, this is the proof that we need it? I, I don't know. I definitely have some people I, I am kind of looking at sideways now, though. Like, how did you get Ooh. that degree? Who bought that degree Ooh. for you? <laughs> and even then... Somebody got right in the checkout line. Right. And even then, since all this is like exploded in the news... I've been hearing from, like, friends, like, third-degree friends, like, friend of a friend of a friend who, who write essays and who who do papers and who write speeches for people. And it's just, like, your parents have orchestrated every single step for you to get where you are. And you've not done anything of your own merit to get there. You've, like, been writing on your parents, on their pocketbooks, on their, their connections, on their... Um, their thoughts and ideas, like, you've not accomplished any of this on your own. And there are black and brown people next to you, like, questioning if they are good enough. But you just sauntered in. I, I just, it, it, it makes me have even less respect for people from certain universities with certain degrees of certain backgrounds. Um, so, yeah, I, I will probably be side-eyeing lots more people now. The Trump administration's involvement has made it clear that it sees discrimination against Asian Americans as something that should be solved by eliminating any consideration of race at all. With a solid conservative majority now in place following Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation to the Supreme Court, there is concern that if this case makes it to the court, it would lead to ending affirmative action entirely. I don't have any words. I don't. I'm. I'm just thankful I have my degree now because I'm not sure. Oh. <laughs> like, what would that look like yeah. for people trying to go now? I have so many thoughts. I don't have like long drawn out thoughts. I just have like short ones. The first is that as much as like there are individual problems that happen within races or or between races, um, if we don't come together and have multicultural conversations, multiracial conversations, um, shit like this happens <laughs> when we don't um, talk to one another and think about how this particular action could affect an entire group of people. Um, so that's my first thought. My second is that eliminating race will obviously hurt black people. Um because K through 12 is racist. The system of K through 12 education is completely racist. I, I mean, we just heard that um, white schools get t on average 25 billion more than black schools. So, K through 12. We knew this though, because property taxes. 
$25 billion more. So when you're talking about buying a degree, when you're talking about who is going to look more, more reputable, um, who's going to look more like Harvard material, you know, we have to consider where they are coming from and the racist structure that then allows this cycle to continue. And so what affirmative action is supposed to do, not sure if it's completely done it because is is I don't think it's really been fleshed out. I don't think our country has taken a like a strong stance on, on affirmative action. I mean, it just brings me back to this like whole thing that our parents told us, you know, when, when we were younger, which is this whole you got to be twice as good to be half as to what, get half what, as far what, wasn't it half as far it? twice as good to get half as far to, to get half as far right um and affirmative action is supposed to help that it's supposed to be a systematic change to create equality um or and to take us a, a, a stab at equality right this lawsuit could have some real damage um and really set us back not to say that their discrimination or their claim for discrimination is or should be ignored, but I think it should be fleshed out a bit more to be more inclusive so that we're helping everybody um, and not just one specific group, especially one specific group that has a lot more privilege. But we don't want to talk about that. Okay, yeah, yeah. We'll leave that right there. Any final thoughts? Um I don't know. I, I think it it brings up a lot of thoughts about like what imposter syndrome is and why we feel that way. Also, it makes me very angry at the current status of the fact that people have this much wealth and this much money and can do this type of thing with their money. Um, I'm also very frustrated now again about how schools are funded. Lots of, I don't, I don't have any happy emotions, more so anger and like questions. And now it's making me think about how I need to read more about how Texas is trying to change how they fund schools based on like standardized testing. Um, so, yeah, I think that's just going to continue to widen the gap and people in power are continuing to find ways to um, stay in power, to stay in power. Yeah. And to ensure that people of the global majority don't have any opportunity to move forward and advance because, you know, they're scared now. They're scared. They're about to be outnumbered. Mm. So anything they can do to maintain that little sliver of power is what's happening. And it's it's very scary to watch everything be. uh turned back things that you know you and i took for granted because affirmative action had been passed and we like i think before we were born or as when we were very young and so to kind of watch things the dial turn back on lots of things that we have just assumed to be right and true is is horrifying teachers parents educators all those folks who are listening when we know better we can do better right and so continue teaching your ass off to those kids, not just academically, but socially. Um, we st- the, re- the reality of the situation is that our, our, our kids still have to compete. 
it's not an even playing field. And I hate saying that. I hate talking like this. But our kids, our communities have to know the reality of our situation. And especially with this push of being college and career ready. They don't want us to be they they want us to be college and career ready, but they don't want us to have an equal opportunity to actually get into the colleges that we deem we are worthy. It reminds of. me of um and on black black teachers on teaching how one of the teachers um uh, she was I think it was an algebra or calculus course she had started teaching it to her students in an all black school at the time right and district people were like no 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 you don't need to teach that to them. And show us how you did it so we can go over here and teach it to these white kids and we'll have it be successful here. And now this course is no longer offered at your school. I think like I remember like I also got the message like if you work hard, you can achieve your dreams, you can get into any university you want to. But we need to be realistic. Right. Like like you said, our kids have to compete. But how are we competing when like the funding is not there? You can't take anything past algebra yep. two, but you're competing against people who took nope. calculus BC. Like how well, they they've had music since they were in first grade. You've never had a music class. They had access to to AP courses. You didn't have access to AP courses because your school couldn't pay for them. I just it starts so early, and we are so disadvantaged mm. from like. From very early on and to not even, I think to, to not have that conversation, it, it's hurting us even more. Um, I I don't know. It just, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. I'm so, I'm so afraid to put a, a child through the K through 12 system. Mm. I think that's a, a, a nice, I think we should end here. <laughs> No, we can't end on, I'm scared to put a child in a K-12 system. I mean, I am, because I refuse to to buy into a neighborhood where, like, my kids are not reflected, and I have to watch Susie down the street because she might call the police on my son riding his bicycle outside. Like, I refuse to move into a neighborhood like that because of what the schools offer. Like, I, I just cannot do that. But then, how do I... How do I grapple with the idea of wanting to live in a predominantly black community and knowing what those schools are going to offer my child? But also, I want to homeschool, but I can't afford to homeschool because I'm black in America. Like, where is this additional funding coming from? What am I giving up by not taking a salaried position to support my family? Mm. And I, like these these are not easy answers, right? Like, I don't have children right now, but these are things that I, I'm thinking about already because... Like they're real concerns because if you buy into a community, if you buy or rent in a community, you need to be supporting the school in that community because if you're not, you are taking money away from the children in that school. Your money, at least in Texas, your money for your child follows your child to whatever school they're going to. So if I move into a predominantly black community and I decide that this school is not good enough for my children, I am taking away additional Mm. funding from the children who like that is their school who don't have or don't have access to something else or a better opportunity or a better quote unquote better school right i i don't know i don't these are there like there are no easy answers no because in in a sense we're not changing something interpersonally you know like 
in order to make a real impact on this, these are going to take some real structural changes, some real policy changes with our current system. And starting, I, I think. Uh, we need to find a new way to fund schools, right? It should not be related to property taxes. And then you need to get rid of PTOs being able to fund extra stuff. Like that in itself is, is I, I am not a fan of PTOs. PTOs are parent-teacher organizations or parent-teacher associations, whatever. But in the suburbs and in wealthy areas and in, in cities, those schools raise 100000 plus to support what the district is not giving you money to do. Like where I student, where I student taught... There, they had an auction that in one night raised over $100,000. There was like an African safari that you could purchase. There was a cruise that you could purchase. There was, um, there were tons of stuff, right? But the money that they raised from the auction paid for their dance teacher. It paid for the computer teacher. And it paid for small things that came up throughout the school year. Every teacher got like um, $500 from the PTO that they could buy things for their class that they needed and PTO would reimburse them. But you can't have an, a PTO like that in an area where the, that money is just non-existent. And so not just that we have a PTO bringing in $100,000 extra, you have property taxes that are higher and funneled right back into that school. So like there was a small gap, right? But now you've widened that gap by this additional money that you can bring in from outside. Like if we're going to have PTOs, all that money should go into a pot and be given to schools accordingly. Like I I, I cannot and I, I don't think I will ever support PTOs and parents being able to funnel additional money into the school to close gaps because that's just widening the gaps for other children. And I like I've seen it. <laughs> and again... And this is not about equality anymore. This is more so about equity. So if we're raising big time funds, then those funds need to go to the schools where <laughs> they're where the where the money is non existent. If we're talking about evening and leveling the playing field so that everybody can have their fair shot, that was Obama's like major thing, you know, giving everybody their fair shot. That means creating some policies, some laws, some reparations. Some reparations that attack these systems and policies that have been in place since people were forced to come to this country. In I the mean, people 1600s. cry, people cry all day that. about a zip code shouldn't determine a child's opportunities, blah, 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 blah. No, it shouldn't, but it very well does. One day. There is no reason in hell that a child should be able to be two miles away from another school, not have a librarian, not have a music teacher, not have recess, not have adequate playground equipment. There's no reason for that. Mm. And you're in the same district? That's completely unacceptable. Same district. Unacceptable. I'm sorry. I have... I, I, I mean, I'm no, not sorry, apologize. but, like, I've taught in... <laughs> I've taught in, like, the wealthiest of the wealthiest and, like, the poorest neighborhood in Houston. And so, like, for me, like, I've seen the the very wide... Like, the disparities between the two. And it makes no sense to me. Yes. It's it's unacceptable. But I, I, yeah. We don't have the answer, guys. But we do have the passion. We have the heart. And we have <sighs> each other. And I think that, again, when we know better, we can do better. This sort of made me want to run for office just a little bit. Don't quote me. 
Don't quote me on that at all. Um, but uh, we got a lot to do and a lot to think about. And so on that, we will take a break and we'll be right back. Yeah. And we're back. Hello. If you got questions, you know where to send them. www.commonsensepod.com or commonsensepod at gmail.com. You know what's up. Antonia, what's the question, girl? You set that website like we were in 2001. No one says www. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm bringing it back. It was Hello. like, um, they used to have the commercials and it would be like, ask your parents for permission before logging on. That's, that's... www. <laughs> www. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> we have one question this week. Um, and this is from a Montessorian that I both admire and have learned lots from. Um, and she brings up a really valid point. It's something we've... Um, We've not really mentioned on the podcast, so I'm curious to see what you know or what you think. She says, have you... (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. Have you discussed indigenous education and the movement that is happening? So my answer, the short answer is no. Um, I don't think we've talked about it really on the podcast, but I think this is a good time to plug... um, Something that I learned from her at the Montessori for Social Justice Conference, there is an indigenous Montessori in New Mexico, I believe. So it is it is New Mexico, um, but they have a Montessori school there for young children. But it, it's. It's Montessori from the indigenous perspective or um, censoring that. Um, So it's the opportunity for those children to attend a school that is decolonizing content um, and offering them something more. The really cool thing about um, KLC, Karish Children's Learning Center, um, is that they have partnered with, I think it's Southwest Montessori, um, Southwest Institute of Montessori Studies. That's what it is. They've partnered together. um, And now they have an indigenous Montessori Institute. Um, And I think they just had their first cohort and they have opened up applications for their second cohort that's starting in August 2019. I follow them on Instagram and I've learned a lot. So what they're doing is really important um, because I remember reading and I don't even remember like where I read it, but I remember reading an article that kind of talked about how by the third generation of a family being in the U.S., if they're not taking intentional steps to, you know, pass along their language and to pass along traditions and um anything related to their culture, that it's less likely that that child in that third generation will identify as a member of whatever um, group that they have like descended from or like that their family is a part of. So the fact that they're teaching Mm. these children their native language so early on and, you know, promoting additive bilingualism and not subtractive is, is doing amazing things because then those children can in turn teach their children and, you know, that that can stay alive and it won't die out like so many languages have done um, for so many people over time. So 
If you have never heard of them, it's Karis Children's Learning Center. Again, um, you can donate some money towards them because the work that they're doing is amazing. Um, it's Montessori um, with Montessori, but centered on um, indigenous practices. And um, I, I'm just astounded with the fact that they're doing that. Um, it also reminds me of um, Seneca Village Montessori, which I believe is in Brooklyn. But that is a Montessori that is um, centered on, like it's, Afri- it's Africana-centered practices there. Um, so it, it's great that, we are coming out and we are finding and building and maintaining um, schools that center our understanding of what education should look like and what interactions with children should look like and moving away from these Eurocentric practices that we know harm our children. Um, So both of those are amazing um, institutions that we can support. Um, I do have a lot more to learn about indigenous uh, education in the U.S. Um, cosine, cosine. And, you know, the Instagram is, is is amazing in the fact that if you utilize it the right way, um, you can learn a lot of information. So thank you for that question, um, because like it's it shown me or it kind of reminded me how much more there is to learn. Um so yeah. It reminds me very briefly about the fight for ethnic studies in Tucson, Arizona oh, back in yeah. uh the early 2010s. Do we say it like that? The early, you know, earlier this decade. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying, but it reminds me of kind of that fight and um just the importance of building um pride in one's culture um, and how that is very critical. That is culturally responsive teaching, right? Um, and the cultures of indigenous people that should be taught um, as American history. I just think that we spend a lot of time, like when we think about indigenous people, we automatically think what, Antonia? Like know? in the past? We think Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. And then we, uh, and then we leave it there in November. It's almost like a black, you know, people study black people during February, and then you know, like we have our different cultures for different months, and then we just kind of move forward. Um, but this is talking about something that's a lot bigger and a lot grander, um, and and again, making a structural change, a systematic change, for the sake of fighting against a system that doesn't want us to be our full self. That's crazy. If you have a question, please send it to commonsensepod at gmail.com or to our website at commonsensepod.com. Add that www. If you were feeling real fancy, https colon backspace backspace www.commonsensepod at gmail.com quote i cannot with you that was so extra but yes i have a quote that ties in nicely with um this question we just had um so i am reading right now if bill street could talk which was written by james baldwin um, and if okay. you have not seen that movie, you need to go see that movie on any platform. I have not I'm, seen the movie. I'm very upset with you because it's the most beautiful <laughs> movie I've ever seen. It's a very yellow movie. Um, if you've 
seen anything by Barry Jenkins, you'll understand why I'm saying it's a yellow movie. Like Moonlight was a very blue movie. Um, oh, oh, well, are, are you talking about lighting? No, like in color. Like there was. Are you talking about light skin? Light skin. No. Yellow. No, okay. like literally, Moonlight had blue everywhere in the movie, and I'm not talking about mood. Like the lighting, the the colors, like. And then in Bill, if Bill Street could talk, like there was just yellow everywhere. If you've not seen it, if you go see it now, you'll understand what I mean. Um, he, he's a genius. But anyway, if Bill Street could talk was written by James Baldwin, and there's some speculation that it was um, based on a true story. I don't know how. I read a few articles about it. I don't know. But anyway, our quote this week comes from James Baldwin, and he says, "These are all our children." We will profit by or pay for whatever they become. I think that last mm. piece, the or pay for, like kind of. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Or pay. Or pay. I believe that children are the future. And let them lead the way. I'm worried about some of these kids, though. And some of these parents. I, I... Like, what am I going to be paying for because of what you did to your child in 10 years? My and God. the things that you taught your child about about black people and about other people of color. I'm afraid. But, you know, a lot of us are out there doing work to combat that and to fight against that and yep. to, to teach children the language to, to talk about racism and white supremacy and to fight against imposter syndrome. So, like, I'm very confident in the children that, you know, um, so many of us are working with, but I'm very afraid of some of the children that are with the 82% every day who don't talk about, um, these things that are happening, these inequities that, uh, that we face every day and these systems that are meant to hold us back. So like, while I am hopeful, I am also afraid because I know a lot of, and if you know what the 82% is, you know, I'm afraid of what a lot of them are doing. So so with that, it's going to take a lot of intentionality. It's going to take us reading. It's going to take us knowing. I want to shout out um, Shaquise over in Brooklyn who uh, gave us the topic for this episode who said, look, look, you got to talk about this, right? This is, And that's how we combat um, racism and oppression of all forms, right? When we know better, we do better. When we know better, we share more. Um, and so I think that that, I really appreciate that because I've learned a lot just studying that case and and then talking about that and I, and I, and then I hope that we spark some more conversations and then we spark some folks out there to be more intentional with how you teach not just in classrooms but in the streets as well how are we preparing our kids for the system that they already live in right well not really how how do we prepare them but how do we cuz Prepared means you're getting ready to go up against something, but the truth of the matter is they're already living through it. So how do we get them to kind of challenge it? You don't have to be 18 to fight oppression. You don't have to be 18 to fight racism. You don't have to be 18 to advocate for affirmative action. You know what I'm saying? I have one more quote. Oh, one more. It's from Miss. Uh-oh. Miss Maya Angelou. Two for one special. Miss, if you are not active on Twitter, you probably won't understand that. 
emphasis on miss. Um, I don't have license <laughs> at the age of 22, 26. Oh, wow. So Not just 22. say Maya. 26. I cannot. Um, she says or said, do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. Period. And on that note, thank you guys so much for listening. And now we have a special announcement. Because we have reached 50,000 historic listens, and I honestly don't think we would have ever hit that 50,000 listens, especially not in the first year. We're still halfway through the year. We hit 50,000 listens. What the hell? That's wild. We are excited to announce... Dun, 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 dun. Our merch store. Yes. For our 50,000 listens, we are opening up a merch store with a very limited supply of Common Sense Pop merch. For all you listeners out there who have been rocking with us, from the very beginning, we definitely want to celebrate this with you. And so definitely head on over to our website at https colon backspace backspace. No, not backspace. Forward slash. Is it forward slash? Damn. Just go to commonsensepod.com. <laughs> commonsensepod.com to order your merch. We got t-shirts over there. <laughs> and, and, and mug. And and a mug, a common sense mug for you coffee drinkers and tea drinkers over there as well. Thank you in advance. So get them while supplies last. And of course, we will see you next time. Bye, y'all. Say bye this time. 50,000 listens. No. Bye. Say it. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Common Sense Podcast. Subscribe at our website at www.commonsensepod.com and receive the episode a day early. You can also subscribe to the Common Sense Podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. We love seeing your reviews um, and reading them, and it helps spread the message to other educators each time a review is posted. Yes, and we'll see you next time. 